This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. Much like this week's teller, I am decidedly not a morning person. Throughout my life, I've had to use all sorts of tricks to ensure I'll actually wake up on time. In high school, I'd open the windows in my car all the way during the winter so the cold would shake me awake. In my professional life, when I need to commute to work, I use the familiarity of podcasts as a calmer morning ritual. In this week's story, our teller, Darren Myers, shares his tale of how his morning ritual became terribly interrupted. Recorded live at Pub 626 in Chicago in December 2019, Second Story is proud to present My Fire. Ever since I can remember, I have never been what you would call a morning person. It's just difficult for me to be happy about anything before 10 a.m. After speaking to my paternal grandmother on the phone recently, it's quite possible I inherited this behavior from her. You see, most mornings I skip eating breakfast altogether. I usually just have a coffee or a juice. I'm just not hungry in the morning. My grandma says she doesn't eat breakfast either. I asked her why. She said, oh, Darren, because I don't like getting up that early. <laughs> my mother, who is her former daughter-in-law, is the complete opposite. She even has a morning song. Apparently, she learned it when she was in the second grade, and she never forgot it. When I was a child living in Indiana, my mother would wake me up for school in the mornings. Mr. Darren Myers, it's time to get up. Come on, sleepyhead. Once she could hear my footsteps coming down the hallway, she'd start singing. The first thing in the morning when I get out of bed, I sing and sing a happy song that comes into my head. I don't know where it comes from. It just begins, you see. And then I sing and sing and sing, as happy as can be. That's not even the worst part. Then she'd put my breakfast plate in front of me and turn on the TV. I'd hear some saxophone intro music. Then I'd hear a man's deep voice say, live your dreams. It was the Les Brown Show. Les Brown is a motivational speaker, author, and former television show host. The show was only on for a season, but we seemed to have every episode recorded on VHS tapes, commercials and all. <laughs> Les Brown would take the stage and say something like, Life has no limitations except the ones you make. Then the audience would applaud. Then he'd be like, people, your life takes on meaning when you set goals, become motivated, and charge after them in an unstoppable manner. I couldn't stand watching that guy every morning. <laughs> but every now and then, he would say something I could kind of understand. I think my favorite line that ever came out of that guy's mouth was when he'd say, when life knocks you down, 
Try and land on your back. Because if you can look up, you can get up. When I was 18, I moved here to Chicago to attend college. After graduating, I got a job here. One thing that drew me to this city was how alive and busy it is. This city really never sleeps. There's something to do all the time, day or night, any time of the week. As an adult, I do admit the mornings are still not my favorite time of the day. But thanks to my mother's upbringing and so much of Les Brown's motivation over the years, <laughs> I generally try to keep a positive outlook and attitude towards whatever I face. Years ago, I saved up a little money and bought a used blue Hyundai Santa Fe SUV from a private seller. I got it for a pretty cheap price because it needed a lot of minor repairs and parts replaced. But as my mother and Les Brown would say, whatever is broken, you can at least try to fix. <laughs> little by little and one by one, I fixed everything. I was able to find most of what it needed at the pull-apart junkyard. Once I got her all fixed up and in pristine condition, I named her Ice Cube. <laughs> Just over a month ago, I was driving Ice Cube. I got hungry, so I decided to stop at a chicken finger restaurant to pick up some lunch to go. I parallel parked out front, and I went inside. I told the cashier I was picking up an order. They had music playing through the speakers. It was some refreshing, good old Motown. I stood at the pickup counter and just humming to the music. Next thing I know, I heard the cashier say, pick up for Myers. I grabbed the food, I said, thank you. And I turned and left. When I stepped outside, there seemed to be a lot of people just standing and staring at something. A girl standing directly across from me looked at me and said, excuse me, sir, is that your car? She pointed to my right. I looked over. Ice Cube is crashed onto the sidewalk. Right away, my chest started pounding. I thought to myself, oh no. Was I in that big a hurry that I just forgot to put it in park? Then that same young woman who asked if it was my car said, hey, don't worry, I got it on my phone. I think the guy was drunk. From the footage I was able to see on her phone, there was a black suburban parallel parked directly behind me. The driver rammed my vehicle, reversed, then rammed it again. He hit Ice Cube a total of six times before making a roll onto the sidewalk into a pole. Then he simply drove off. I called the police. The young woman who recorded everything on her phone agreed to stay with me until they came. She said her name was Jasmine. A few minutes passed as we waited. At some point, Jasmine took a few steps away from me and her eyes got real wide. I asked her what was wrong. She pointed behind me and then she whispered, that's him. I turned around, I saw this tall older guy stumbling around the corner. He was looking at me and he was yelling, I'm not running, I'm not running, man, I'm not running. 
The guy had to be at least six foot four. He was Caucasian, and he looked old enough to be my father. He had on khakis, a sweatshirt, and a collared shirt under that. Upon first glance, to me, he looked like he could be somebody's basketball coach. <laughs> he walked toward me. I could smell whiskey on his breath from more than 10 feet away. He could tell I was not happy. He kept saying, don't worry about this. I'm going to take care of you. He even stuck out his fist to give me the pound. <laughs> I was so shocked and mad, I couldn't even curse. I took a deep breath. I managed to stay calm. I took a picture of his driver's license. As I was taking a picture of his insurance info, I heard him say, oh, damn it. I looked up to see what he was looking at. It was a police SUV just arriving. Four officers got out. They looked at Ice Cube all splayed up on the sidewalk. One of the officers goes, so, who's the driver? I stepped forward and told him the vehicle was mine, but before I could say anything, Jasmine stood right next to me, handed him her phone, and said, just press play. <laughs> he watched the 17 seconds of footage, and he said, Oh, wow. <laughs> That's convenient. He gently took Whiskey Man by the arm and said, Sir, take us to where your vehicle is. Mr. Myers, you stay here with your vehicle. The guy and the four officers walked around the corner. After they all got out of sight, Jasmine whispered to me, it Looks like somebody's in trouble. I said, I know, right? Ten minutes later, all five men emerged from around the corner. To my surprise, Whiskey Man was not in handcuffs. The officer who seemed to be doing all the talking walked over to me. He handed me a piece of paper and he said, here, Mr. Myers, give this info to your insurance company. Now, get in your vehicle and see if you're able to move it. I was able to pull Ice Cube off of the sidewalk, but that was about it. The transmission was clearly damaged. Whiskey Man was allowed to leave. That's right. The drunk guy was able to get in his car and leave. The officer said he would radio a tow truck for me. And just like that, he and the other three officers got back in their SUV and drove off. Me and Jasmine were left standing on the sidewalk. I told her she didn't have to stay. We exchanged phone numbers so she could text me the footage. I thanked her again and she left. The tow truck eventually came. That was the last time I ever saw Ice Cube. When life knocks you down <laughs> and you do happen to land on your back like Les Brown says to do, it's very hard to look up. It's a lot easier to be mad and bitter, and I was. I kept wondering to myself, why did that guy get to leave? Who was that guy? The next few weeks, I found myself angry at the world as I rode the train to work. Eventually, I came to an understanding that it's just very exhausting, both mentally and physically, 
to stay that way. On some mornings, the train would fill up with all kind of people and characters who also like to sing in the morning. <laughs> that kind of mentally took me back to my childhood mornings. Then I'd smile. I eventually contacted Whiskey Man's insurance company. He had State Farm. It took about three weeks, but like a good neighbor, <laughs> they took care of me. The insurance company gave me a blue book value of over three times what I originally paid. Recently, I bought a newer SUV. It's a red one. I call it my buyer. This story was produced by Casey Truba, curated by LaTanya Lane, directed by Max Spitz, with music and sound design by Nick Park. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Skadden, Arp, Slate, Meager, and Flome, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, CoBank, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this... This, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast. <laughs>